funniest player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious or not. We deserve this win, man. Fox Sports 5 flying high in Motown. Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, and then being the first team to actually get to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento. Like that's that's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Bryant West on here as we always do. What's going on, Bryant? How you doing, man? Um, boy, you know, when you say, uh, as we always do, you know, as it relates to uh, my um, appearances on this podcast over the last few months, and specifically my takes about the Kings jumping into the top of the lottery, I did not have those opinions. And uh, I definitely think you need to figure out uh, how you had a hacker on as me quite so many times. I don't know. We have you on tape here, man. <laughs> the J will the J will defense is now working for me. It is that was stupidest thing. It was it was great comedy. It was really yeah. good entertainment. If uh, anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, uh, go search J will J Williams on Twitter. Um, the former. Uh, Bulls point guard uh, had a take on Twitter yesterday that said, uh, when your Boston Celtics, by the way, um, hired a, um, Ine Do- no, I'm, I'm mispronouncing his name. Say it for me. Can't pull it I don't know head. how to say the first name, actually. <laughs> Udoku. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I feel bad because he was a king for a year and he was really good. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, but former uh, just was on the Brooklyn Nets staff. Yeah. Um, Jay Will tweeted yesterday uh, something to the effect of the Boston Celtics finally, for the first time in franchise history, have a, uh, a black head coach. And uh, everybody correctly pointed out uh, they've had quite a few, including uh, Bill Russell. What the hell are yeah. you talking about? And Jay Will's defense was, as it relates to the Boston Celtics tweet that came from my account a couple hours ago, I did not post that in my password has now been changed. Dude. It is the worst I've been hacked defense of all time. Yeah, he said the he said the thing about the first black coach, and then after he complimented the coach um, in that tweet. So it's just like it, it's just so funny to me the idea that like he tried to play off. Yeah, somebody hacked me and decided to compliment this coach while also just being totally wrong about this random take. It was just it was hilarious. Uh, it was great. It, you know what else was only- pretty funny? Jay Will's uh, NBA draft comps. Oh, no, I did not see those. Oh, man, I got to pull them up because I remember them being so stupid. I immediately threw them out of my uh, threw them out of my brain. I was going to say the uh, Marvin Bagley like game oh, over yeah. here going on. Yeah, it's uh, it sucks. 
Sex in a thousand different ways. Yeah, Marvin Bagley uh, liked a tweet uh, of somebody quote tweeting saying 2018 is best draft class ever. And then the quote tweet says, we got to get at MB35 out of sack. And uh, yeah, like that tweet. And kind of the first thing of him publicly agreeing that he wants out of Sacramento. You know, we heard everything from his dad and he never shut it down publicly or anything like that. So this is kind of the first of that, I guess. And the fact that it's like, quote tweeting something talking about you know 2018 draft class being one of the best ever and it almost feels like it's like blaming sacramento for his lack of success and you know i get that's the case for a lot of prospects but that has not been the case for marvin bagley no you know there's a lot here that have been out of marvin bagley's hands um injuries foremost and you know it's impossible for me to look at any prospect and say Boy, there's not a chance that you would have been better outside of basketball hell. But he has a lot that he has to answer for as well. Um, the fact that he's still, you know, we, we had that long Marvin Bagley episode, I think a month and a half ago. If anybody wants to hear our full Marvin Bagley takes, go find that. Marvin Bagley is not um, a... If he honestly thinks that the only reason he's not a superstar right now is Sacramento, whoever's telling him that is lying to him. Um, that said, I definitely think the Kings fans are taking this overboard. Like, we knew he's going to be traded. We've known it for months. We know that he was uh, almost certainly going to be traded at the trade deadline before he got injured again. Um, like the fact that every single Kings fan has come up with, including this podcast, have come up with a dozen Marvin Bagley trades by now. Like the writing's on the wall. Do I think it's the worst thing ever for a player that knows he's going to be traded to like said tweet? No. Do I think that uh, Kings fans are going a little overboard with uh, the vitriol and well, goddamn you, Marvin Bagley? Yeah, I definitely think so. So um, I hope that uh, the right situation. Uh, for him and for the Kings appears and the, the Kings can get something out of uh, Marvin Bagley at this point. I don't appreciate that uh, he's having to do this and ding up his trade value. That's pretty much my only um, real annoyance at him at this point, but I don't know. Just get him out of Sacramento. We knew it was happening. I don't care. Totally. I, I think uh, it also hurts Kings fans specifically because it comes at a time of sensitivity when you're watching Trey Young do what he's doing. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, Luca thing was already sensitive for people, but to watch Trey Young do this, even like Mikhail um, knew he would come up at some point today, right? Aiton. Yeah, Aiton as well. Um, Aiton is the. If, if Marvin Bagley wanted to see how somebody needed to improve coming into the draft. Like DeAndre Ayton was a garbage defensive player at Arizona. And he was a really bad defensive player his first year in Arizona. And uh Monty Williams comes along and lights a fire in him and now he's playing excellent defense in the Western Conference Finals. Like it it is clearly both a situational and a player has to fully buy in and work on the things that they need to improve situation. Yes, yeah. and and nobody's sitting there being like, I, I wish it was Luka Doncic, you know, like I, I, that conversation is out the window because Aiton is playing at a good enough level that people aren't worried about that, you know, even if it's not yeah. Luka Trey level sort of performance, it, it's good enough. Um, yeah, and yeah, I mean, you look at the top 
top five. There's a clear outlier. And um, yep. so, yeah, that's where that's at. And I, I get that it's frustrating for Kings fans, but I think like you're saying, writing's been on the wall for a while. The trade that makes sense to me is OKC in a cap space, really, for super minimal return, just to be able to re-sign yeah. Rashawn Holmes, something like that. I, I think, you know, when you're talking about Bagley trade, you're not really getting much back. Um, but that shouldn't be too much of a surprise, you know, a year away from it's going to say a year away from getting paid, but he's actually probably going to get a lower salary in a year compared <laughs> to where he's at right now. Yeah. He'll get um, a mid-level exception. Right. So yeah, some teams just going to have to sort of take a flyer and test out a year of Bagley. And I, I think that it's best at this point, obviously for both sides to yeah. split ways. And I, all the best to him wherever he ends up. I hope he's ends up being a fine NBA player. Cause <laughs> You know, I always say it, but the NBA will definitely be better if Marvin Bagley has uh, becomes anything close to the prospect that he was out of Duke. He shouldn't have gone uh, as high as he did, Lord knows, but he still should have been a very good player. So, um, Before we get into our prospects for the day, I want to pull up my two favorite Jay Williams comps um, from the lottery show. What do we got? Uh, the the funniest one to me is uh is um Jalen Suggs is Jason Kidd. Hmm. Which is just like, no, dude, Jalen Suggs' top talent is his shooting. Right. Like, what are you doing? You just like uh sixty point guard. Okay, good. <laughs> right, and pretty then, much. And the worst one. Uh, our buddy Will Griffith is gonna love this one. Uh Scotty Barnes is uh Giannis. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Wow. Okay. You better be first on his board. I don't know what is. It? Whoa. Scotty Barnes is getting a lot of love right now. By the way, like yeah. some people talking like third, and it, it is crazy. It is crazy. If he goes top five, good for him. Um, he could definitely could be the dude that pushes Jonathan Kaminga down. That's yeah. Fine. Um. Yeah, it's starting I to feel like I, there's a there's a six now. You know, there's yeah. the top four, and then it's Kaminga Barnes. It kind of feels like. Well, you know, you and I had him going six in our mock draft, and uh, I definitely think that Oklahoma City can look at Scotty Barnes and be like, "Yeah, if you don't pan out, we're good. Uh, and if you do pan out, boy, you are exactly what we need." So, uh, if his ceiling is six, that's kind of disappointing for uh, Kings fans. Uh, but hey, I get it. By the way, speaking of Jason Kidd, is this oh. going to be Dallas's head coach now? Like, that is the stupidest. I can't tell you how much Dallas is feeling like Sacramento right now. And they're progressing on a deal with Nike's Nico Harrison to lead basketball operations. All right, you're hiring somebody from Nike to lead basketball operations, and you're hiring Jason Kidd to become the head coach. It's. Oh, it, I, I I saw our buddy Mark uh, tweeted this out earlier. It, it's time to have a conversation about Mark Cuban, yeah. <laughs> as the as the owner of the Mavericks. Like, what are you doing, dude? You have a generational talent, and this is what you're doing. Just yeah, this very is, questionable. It is going to lead to Luka Doncic in Los Los Angeles, and I hate it. Don't say that. Don't say that. Yeah, I'm. I I can see the writing on the wall. Three years. No, from I'd rather like Miami or something. Like uh, I don't care. Oh yeah, that'd like, be fun. New Somewhere York, in the sure. East. Like yeah, but please, yeah, please, just not L.A. Like yeah, yeah, anywhere but L.A. Oh god, that sounds <laughs> horrible. Yeah. Well, 
The two prospects we plan to dive into today are two of the older guys in the draft. We have Davion Mitchell from Baylor, and we have Corey Kispert from Gonzaga. We got the uh, um, NCAA title showdown right here. Yeah. I got to say, it was really fun to go rewatch that NCAA title game. Yeah. I don't know why. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, I'm surprised. You had a lot of fun watching Gonzaga lose, Friar? Yeah. Wow. I, I, I don't know Shocking. what it was. Shocking. Shocking. <laughs> yeah yeah and, um but sorry go ahead no go ahead i was just gonna um start with with mitchell if that works yeah uh i think you know the one thing that we should mention before we go into this is uh clearly uh if anybody has paid attention to our draft takes up to now uh or finishes this podcast we're gonna be pretty dang low on both of these guys for sacramento um and a lot of it has to do with uh, our feelings on um, both uh, experienced players versus uh, upside in the draft. And for me, the, the real sticking point for Corey Kispert is defense. Uh, for Davion Mitchell, it's real fit with the Sacramento, I think. Um, but before we get into the upside conversation, I don't think either of us will write off these players because of their age or because we don't think they can improve. Um, we've certainly been in big draft proponents of more established collegiate players in the past. Um, I remember in the 2019 draft when the Kings 14th pick was over uh, in Boston. I was a big fan of both Brandon Clark and uh, Cam Johnson, um, both four-year college pros. Um, but in terms of Kispert and Mitchell, I think I speak for both of us where when I say that I, we don't love the fit in Sacramento for either guys and don't think that their upside makes them a likely best player available for Sacramento at number nine. Do you agree with that? Agreed. And one of them, I don't even think regardless of the team should be going nine. Um, Oh yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. But yes, for the Kings, like I I do not like the fit with either one of these guys. And and to start with Mitchell, um, he's going to be 23 in September. I saw him listed at six foot in socks um, at the combine. Uh, and six uh, foot one in shoes, like mm-hmm. I don't want to ever overhype a dude's non-shoe numbers um, because they play in shoes. But like six one for a combo guard, that's just not not good. No, and um, yeah, the six five wingspan is what I saw here. And you know, before we even get into his numbers, because uh, a lot of these numbers you're going to see are revolving around the offensive end of the floor, I think his best thing is clearly defense. Yeah. Um, and he's an absolute hound. You know, Mike Schmidt said he's one of the best defenders he's ever evaluated. Um, super high praise there. I, I think, he, yeah, his his Whoa. footwork, his, his uh, lateral quickness is ridiculous. I, I think he was absolutely like elite at drawing charges which wasn't something he said. Uh, he said early in his career at Auburn, he, he felt like he hardly drew any of them um, and just started to learn the timing of when you should fall because a player's looking out of control. And he's very good about just making the offensive player play around him rather than just sitting there and being comfortable. You know, he's constantly bothering them. Like I said, great lateral quickness. He's got pesky hands. He has really good strength and uh, players are bouncing off of his chest or again, he's going to that charge. Um, I think that he has a really good understanding of players tendencies um, in, in the film session with Schmitz. He's calling out tendencies of players from games months ago. 
Um, you saw him a lot on smaller guards, but even at six one, he played Cade Cunningham a few times throughout the year, and I, I thought actually did a pretty good job covering him. So I, I do think that he defends up a little bit in the NBA, which he obviously is going to need to for whatever a typical six one player is going to be. Um, yeah. and, and this is part of the issue, right? That you're talking about your greatest skill being on ball defense when you're six one, you know, and I think that you're a player that um, Mitchell is a player that is going to play bigger than he is, but bigger than he is, is still, you know, a, a small wing. Like, I, I don't think that he's guarding high level threes in the league, even though, like I said, he did a good job on Cade at times throughout the year. I worry about him doing that at um, the NBA level. So I think like absolutely elite on-ball defense ones and twos. I don't know if it, that's going to come on threes as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's undeniable that he is like a game changer at the point of attack on defense. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. He is a fun dude to watch on defense just because he both understands how to stay in front of a guy, um, how to pick them up in transition and just his tenacity. Like you and I are big fans of defensive tenacity. I think that's pretty well established. And um, a little crazy to say that he's the best defensive guard you've watched in draft scouting. But I mean, like I, I, I get the defensive upside. Um, like, let me pull up his numbers. I think it was. Um, Per 40 minutes, 2.3 steals per game. Like, that's really impressive. Um, my hesitation is that if you are expecting him to play up in the league, like, I, 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 the two comps I hear all the time are Drew Holiday and Tyrese Maxey. And first off, he's not close to Drew Holiday's size. Drew Holiday is two inches yep. taller than him with a, sign- with a bigger wingspan. Um, Tyrese Maxey is closer but is still two inches taller than him in shoes. So like yeah, Marcus smart, two inches taller. Yeah. Like all these defensive dudes that you are trying to project Davion Mitchell to be like, he has to hit that peak. He has to hit Marcus level smart, Marcus smart level defensive impact to be worth a pick that high. Um, and I don't know, that's just really gambling on one end of the pick, one end of the floor for a dude who's going to be 23 uh, when the season starts. Yeah, I, I do really believe in his defense guarding ones and twos. But, you know, ideally you want more versatility um, and, and see some impact on threes. And, you know, if he's switching like a, he's going to front effectively. But when you're that short. Um, the pass is just going to get thrown right over your head. Not much you're really going to be able to do about it. There's not an elite wingspan, um, even if it is pretty plus for his size. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, like I said, the the one and two defense, I, I think is going to be absolutely elite. But when it comes to defending threes, it, it I think that's going to be the really big swing factor. If he can be an on-ball defender of threes at the next level, you know, your Cade Cunningham sort of size players, then I, I think that that is the real difference here. And I, I think that some people could be talking themselves into that, but the size is really concerning. Like you're saying, he's about two inches shorter than most of those guys that you talk about them defending up to threes um, and, and making it work, even though they are outliers. I think that's kind of the hope for Mitchell there. And I don't know that I fully buy it. And this is where the fit 
is questionable with the Kings, right? I mean, yeah, Fox and Mitchell, you say the, I mean, Fox and Halliburton, you say the exact same thing. They guard ones and twos, not threes. Um, yeah. So having three of those guys out there is is a rough look. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, and while I'd uh, love to see the Kings add somebody with Mitchell's point of attack, uh, defensive upside, just using your one primary offseason asset on a six-foot combo guard doesn't seem to me like the right idea. But let's if talk ha- about his off. It's off. If, ha- if Halliburton wasn't there, I would like to fit. If one yeah. of Halliburton or Fox wasn't there, like I-, I would be for it. But you just can't well, do that trio. My concern then goes to uh, his offensive impact. Um Talk, and talk to me about his offense. Do you think that he is anywhere close to the numbers that he put up last year uh, as, in terms of his efficiency and particularly his shooting efficiencies? Yeah, to throw the numbers out there, 14 points, um, 5.5 assists on 51% from the field, 44% from three on 4.7 attempts, and then 64% from the free throw line. I think this 51% and 44% from three is too much. And I I don't think that, you know, when I look at his offensive game, which I do think is very well suited for the NBA, and there was a very big jump this year compared to last year. Um, Should mention, by the way, he played his freshman year at Auburn, only played 17 minutes a game there and was not very impactful. And then Baylor really was interested in his defensive impact. He transferred. And then um, after redshirting his sophomore year, spent his junior and senior year at Baylor where, and then his senior year is when his offensive game really took that leap to what you're seeing this year. And I I do think that, you know, he, he gained a better understanding. I think that his balance is something that is elite on both ends of the floor. And that's what really stands out when he does have some shiftiness to him. Um, But I, I don't buy the efficiency. At least not on this level. You know, it was 89th percentile spot up shooter, 93rd percentile on jump shots, 95th percentile on jumpers off the dribble. Like, I I do think that he is taking good shots. Um, I I think that he has shown an ability to create space with quick moves. Um, He has really good footwork of one, two or this hop into his shots Um, and, and started to work really good this year with the screener and setting um, defenders up around that and things like that. He finished well at the rim. Um, On top of it, he was in the, I lost it here. Let me pull it up. Oh, I can get that. Let's see here. This is great uh, podcast. I know I I had 70. 72nd percentile around the basket and not post-up situations. And it's almost 33% of his offense. Yeah. And, you know, I I think that a lot of what he does, he does in an NBA style. But I I just don't think he's this. He's not this efficient, especially you look at the free throw number, right? He hasn't surpassed 70% from the line in his career at any point in his career. And you just need to look at last year. Um like, I, I don't want to undersell this. This is one of the biggest shooting jumps I've seen from a prospect, um, which is both like clearly a credit to him. Clearly, to some degree, he big time improved his shot. But gambling on a dude who shot 44% from three this year and in his previous year at Baylor shot 32.4% from three 
like that's just a massive gamble. And like you said, never shot a career 66% from free from the free throw line in college. Um, let me read you his synergy numbers from last year. 50th percentile on all jump shots, uh, 57th percentile catch and shoot, um, off the dribble, 70th percentile. Like those are fine numbers. Those indicate to me a combo guard who will be able to do some shooting at the next level. That does not to me indicate a 45% shooter from deep. It does not make me think like suddenly this dude's going to come in and be a volume threat that really creates massive gravity at the next level. No, I think he's a good shooter, but I don't think he's like elite in that level. Um, And interestingly, you know, the way that you're pointing it out as if, as if it's possibly this like massive outlier jump, right. With some, some luck involved. I think a lot of, people are praising it as a ridiculous work ethic, which I, you know, he's reported to definitely have. And, it, and it, yeah. I think it's a, it's a combination of both, but it's about finding that balance because these numbers are ridiculous. Yeah. I don't want to undersell sell this dude. He was the heart of uh, an amazing, historically cool and efficient Baylor team. Um, Jared Butler was the soul of that team, but Davion Mitchell was the heart. So, like, clearly this is a dude who has an excellent motor and a strong drive and wants to bet on himself. And you know what? All the praise to him. I hope he figures it out at the next level. Um, just his everything that we've talked about to me indicates a dude who should be going in the late teens, not somebody who should be going in the lottery. Yeah, I, I think early teens is fine with me. Like, I could do late lottery. If it's the right situation, uh, one that could handle, um, that has more shooting around him. I think um, you actually selected him for New Orleans at 10, right? No, I selected um, uh, Jaden Springer. Oh, got it. Yeah. I thought about it for New Orleans because like, that makes sense yeah, in a does. conceivable way. It doesn't make sense for a team that, ju- that really doesn't have a whole bunch of things on the roster figured out like the it makes a lot of sense things. for like golden state at 14 oh yeah I, I i choked about this uh with somebody golden state's going to select Corey kispert or davion mitchell at seven and then get the other one at 14 <laughs> they're gonna rebound so hard from james wiseman that they're gonna be like give us the seniors who we know who they are we don't need upside we got steph curry let's go right and if if I was a Warriors fan, like Damian Mitchell makes some sense. Like, yeah, he does. I, I, I could talk myself into Mitchell at seven if I was the Warriors. Honestly, I, I would yeah. not be happy about it because there's other guys I like, but I, I could talk myself into it. I don't necessarily know that it's the best seamless fit because, like, is your closing line? I'm going to be Mitchell, Curry, Clay, Draymond, and a center. Like, that's two shooters two and a half shooters. If you believe that Mitchell is going to be like league average. Um, but yeah, like I do think he's going to be league average. Okay. All right. Like that's really fair. Um, it, it makes sense for Golden State. I don't know that it really makes a massive amount of sense for anybody else on the lottery, but he's in the lottery on uh, pretty much every mock you look at. So, yeah, I, I think that Mitchell is a, high floor prospect that sneakily also has an interesting ceiling to him with some of this off the dribble creation. Right. 
you know, they uh, for I, I think it has a lot to do with the number and the last name. But for some reason, people throw out Donovan Mitchell a lot. Oh, God. Um, which is crazy because they're such different players. But there's like moments of this creation of of quick step backs or quick crosses into um, into jumpers that you see that slightly. There's nothing around the basket that's even close to the same. There's nothing burst that's similar with these guys. Um, but I, I think like shot creation, there legitimately is an upside with Mitchell when it comes to that. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I feel bad ranking on him because uh, it's very clear that he's not my preference here. And, and I think I'm probably going a little overboard uh, in in my concerns about him. Um, but he, he, he's the kind of guy I would normally would like champion uh, for a later pick for Sacramento. Like if if the Kings snagged another first and grabbed him at like, 16, 17, 18. Yeah, 16 is that Boston I, I, pick they could have had. <laughs> yeah, there you go. If if Monty McNair wanted this kind of player, should have gone and gotten another second and then another first. Like, if the Kings got him in that range, I'd love the dude. He's the kind of dude I gravitate towards. I, I very much dislike that uh, the fact that he's being, in my opinion, massively overhyped by this draft cycle is making me dread the concept of drafting him. Um, but um, I don't know. Do you have anything else on uh, Mitchell before I uh, no, it's pull just up our buddies? Not, it's just not a guy that the Kings should really consider. No. Like I at agree. all, to be honest. Last last point I want to um, give a, a shout out to our uh, buddy, Chris Houck. Um, and if and if you're a member of King's Twitter and you're not following him, go follow him. He's one of the most essential King's Twitter dudes out there at Sports Junkie. Um, he ran an excellent poll uh, two days ago where he pulled up four different stat lines, four different players, um, gave their full statistical numbers, their uh, shooting numbers, the box score plus minus. Um, and, you know, before I go deep into this, I do want to say, like, comparing stats like this, is is just one part of an evaluation it's certainly not meant to be like some grand statement about a prospect like taking stats from four different college programs is like comparing apples to oranges to strawberries to zucchinis like they're all so different that it's hard to compare um but he had four different sets of numbers and uh he said king's twitter which of these four-year point guard prospects would you prefer um and Davion Mitchell was last with 4% of the vote. 44% of voters voted for Jim or for dead. 39% voted for Shabazz Napier, uh, who was my pick. Just Same here. The wrong numbers. Uh, and uh, 13% voted for Chris Dunn, who, uh, if I just go back three years, he was my draft crush that year. Um, and Chris Dunn taught me a lesson that I think Chris is really emphasizing here. You gotta be wary of draft prospects who underwhelm as underclassmen and then break out when they're more physically, mentally developed than ninety percent of the dudes they're playing on a college floor. Like the history of those dudes, especially recent history, is very much not great. Especially, like you don't even have to go back that far. Justin Jackson says hi. So, I, I think I that Mitchell is 
kind of an outlier from those because I think his development was legitimate skill. Um, and, and it came to, like I said, a whole lot of footwork and, and balance on the offensive end of the floor. And he started to make better reads. We didn't really talk about his playmaking. Um, oh, yeah. I, I think it's okay on a tertiary level, I guess. Yeah. Like within the flow of the offense, I, I think he can do well. You know, I, I think in the tournament, he got a lot of offensive responsibility. I, I think he did make some nice reads. Um, but I, I don't think he's a guy that you're sitting there and just running a bunch of pick and roll for or anything like that. No. Um, I, I think if the ball swung to him nine seconds on the clock, sure, set him a screen and let him try to make something happen. But overall, his decision making is is decent. I, I think he had like a um, uh, I don't want to just throw numbers out. Actually, he has a five point five assists to two point four turnovers. Um, so not a bad number there, but certainly not a you know elite playmaker that's making high level reads every single time. But there were occasional flashes of that. I, I would say that it's a plus on the playmaking, but not to the point where he's, you know, your your primary playmaker out there on the floor. Yeah, I, I definitely like him as a secondary tertiary playmaker. But, you know, the, the phrase I keep saying over and over is bench combo guard. Um, to me, that's his realistic median outcome. Um, and I do want to say, like, of the four dudes that uh, we just talked about in Chris's poll, I definitely think that Davion Mitchell is you said it, the most skill development there. Um, like I really honestly thought when he was coming into the draft that Chris Dunn had taken a big leap in terms of skill, in terms of shot. Uh, and neither one of those really developed. Now he's a dude who um, makes his uh, spot in the NBA on defense. Um, so I don't know. I think that's the floor outcome for Davion Mitchell here. Definitely yeah. like him more than I like Jimmer Fredette though. Yes, I'm definitely with you there. Um, that was the that was the first time a Kings draft broke me. Yeah, yeah, because that was the draft that two dudes I wanted in that draft were uh, Kawhi Leonard and Kemba Walker. Oh, and 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 I was like, no, you're not going to take Jeremy for that. You're not going to do that. You're not going to. Well, the Maloofs just wanted to sell tickets. Boom. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Davion Mitchell is going to be a lot better than Jeremy for that. I will say that, but yeah. he's not my pick for the Kings. I think Mitchell going somewhere like um, 17 to to Memphis would be awesome. I think that when you talk about, uh, again, 14 to Golden State, I think even 10 to New Orleans sort of thing makes a lot of sense. Um, I I think there's a chance he goes higher. You know, I I think that it seems like this whole 7-8, 7 Golden State, 8 Orlando Seems like a real possibility for Davion Mitchell, and I would love for him to go there and that leave another option for the Kings at nine because, again, I don't think he's someone that Sacramento should consider really at all. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Vassini has him seventh, by the way, on his big board, and Kevin O'Connor has him in the same spot. It's so. just it, it's, it's too high for me. It really is. Yeah, it's a lot. It's, so. a, it's a big gamble. Definitely is. And I think that um, we're going to feel pretty similarly about the next guy on this list, Corey Kispert, with a little bit more say, size to him. I will say that uh, Corey Kispert is uh, higher on my big board by a whopping really? one spot. By a whopping one spot. Wow. Oh, yeah. wow. Kispert's going to be no- notably lower than Mitchell, I think, for me. I get it. Like, <laughs> It feels weird for me being the dude that's like, defense, defense, defense. Um, but 
I don't know. I just buy Corey Kispert's singular elite skill more than I do Davion Mitchell's. Give me all the elite numbers, Brian. All right. Let's see here. Um, it is not a stretch to say that he was the best shooter in college basketball this year. Um, and if like I had our buddy Nate Miller's uh, uh, encyclopedic understanding of the uh, top 200 players, <laughs> what did he what did he send to us the other day? He was like, yeah, I, I pulled up a, I tweeted my big board of 200 players. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? I can't name 200 players. No. Um, I mean, good for him. Good for him having the ability to do that. I'm sure if I had his encyclopedia knowledge, I could be like, well, there's a case for blank, blank, blank. It's not like last year where everybody was saying, Aaron Neesmith is the best shooter in the draft. It's like, well, no. Oh, God. Says I. Yes. Um, you know. Uh, of course. You triggered the shit out of me right there, Brian. Corey Kispert is a very good basketball player. He's got a versatile offensive skill set, a likely elite NBA skill and some good instincts on the defensive end of the court. Um, he played within his role at Gonzaga. He was arguably the most important player on one of the best college basketball teams in the last decade. Uh, you know, we're going to talk a lot about why we don't want him on the Kings. So I figured I'd stick out with the positives. Um, having Kispert outside of the lottery and my King centric big board comes down to the roster construction for me. I'm sure there's a universe where Kispert would be a preference for me. In nine or ten, I mean, nine. Now, I don't. I mean, in my head, the Kings are still waffling between the ninth, tenth pick. Um, you know, I'm sure there's a universe where he'd make sense. Uh, somewhere where Buddy Hield and the other Kings' defensive negatives were all replaced with strong defenders, and the Kings' biggest need was for a shooter. Yeah, Corey Gisbert would make sense at nine. Um, but with the Kings' roster, it is I just I struggle to identify him as the right fit or the best player available. They do not have the defensive infrastructure to handle another average at best defender as part of the core going forward. Uh, and I think that's what Kispert's uh, high-end outcome is, his average at best on defense. Um, I asked one of our smart draft fanatic friends a while back what he thought about uh, the Kispert to Sacramento fervor, and he called, it, he called Kispert a uh, buddy-heeled replacement who was in a total barn door on defense. Um, and if the scouting report ended there, like, I get it. Um, I don't think there's anywhere near a lock that Kispert becomes a Buddy Hill tier top five in three-point makes over the last three years level shooter. But conceptually, like swapping Buddy Hill's minutes for another excellent shooter who isn't uh, a complete negative on defense, it makes some sense. Um, so before we get to the rest of his game, I just want to say, Corey Kispert's elite shooting gravity uh, 53% from the field, 44% from deep on eight attempts per 40 minutes, 67.4% true shooting percentage, a whopping 51.2% of his offense coming off catch and shoot shots. Like, all right, if that is your gamble, he is very much in my, okay, I see what you're going for here, tier. He's at the very bottom of that tier for me, but I do see it. Um, I just think, and I, I believe you agree with me, that Sacramento is currently constructed, needs more than just another near sh elite shooter to jumpstart this rebuild. Um, and while no single player in the mid lottery is going to provide everything the Kings need, I'm just going to prioritize other skill sets higher than I'm pr prioritize Kispert's. Do you agree with me? Yeah. 
And I think I've just soured on this prototype over the last couple of years, maybe from watching Buddy a lot. Um, but I think players that are just shooters really scare me and I think are becoming more and more common in this league. Um, and, and I think, you know, the difference being Kispert does a lot of the little things well, not at a high level, but he does a lot of the little things well. Um, the other aspects of the game in a way that Buddy doesn't, Buddy is like literally just shooting. And I think that's the prototype that really scares me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, same way as Mitchell, I would much prefer them take Mitchell to Kispert, to be honest. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't, that being said, like, I don't want either guy to really be considered for the Kings. Yeah. Um, let me run through his shooting numbers because I kind of went through a big diatribe of uh, Kispert's uh, overview. Um, like I said, he's got insane shooting numbers. Um, he was a very, he was also a very willing cutter, which is great for a dude who moves up the ball as much yeah. as he did. 7% of his offense came off cuts. He scored on 71% of them. Um, I think some of that comes down to team construct, but like a dude who moves that much, like that just indicates to you the level of shooting talent and he knows what he's got to do. Um, Finished well around the basket too. Yeah, he did. 63%. Um, I think that there is a singular clear avenue for his improvement at the NBA level. He only took 30 jumpers off the dribble this season, which is just bonkers to me. Um, he was good on those, shot 43% on them, 96th percentile. But I think this goes into a bigger conversation of his role at Gonzaga. Um, and raising that number may be an avenue towards further growth as a player and a pathway to his best self-creation avenue, in my opinion, is very clearly figuring out how to become a better off the dribble shooter. Um, I don't think he has the fastest shot in the world, but it's still pretty quick. Um, that said, I, I definitely think that we need to talk about the context that he was in. Um, he, both that his numbers and his shooting numbers are certainly inflated to a degree by the team he was playing on. Um, that's not a really serious critique of him because like always applaud a player for dominating when they're supposed to. Like if you if you're critiquing a dude for doing what he should, like just stop. It does make comparison to other dudes in the in the King's range a little more complex. Like I'm sure that Moses Moody, Franz Wagner, James Booknight, uh, whoever else you want to name in that shooter category, they would have loved to have played in Gonzaga's offense with Gonzaga's spacing. Uh, and limiting the number of times that they could be doubled. Like, Corey Kispert was the game's elite shooter this year, and the fact that he was playing with Jalen Suggs and playing in um, Gonzaga offense dictated by Mark Few, like, he's not some Clay Thompson prospect. I think his numbers are inflated by the stage that he was on. Yeah, it's shocking to me that he has the same number of guarded and unguarded catch-and-shoot attempts. Yeah, it's just insane. Imagine that dude on like 90% of college teams. Yeah, 87th percentile unguarded, 52nd percentile unguarded catch-and-shoot yeah. shots. Um, You know, the other thing about him is much like uh, Davian Mitchell, I think he's a fine passer. Um, he's definitely a system passer. Um, 
straight from his numbers. Let me pull that up. Per 40 minutes, uh, 2.3 assists, 1.6 turnovers. Like, that's pretty good for a dude who was playing next to Jalen Suggs and, like, three other combo guards who handled initiation duties. Yeah. Um, he's never running the pick and roll, but within the flow of the no. offense, he's a fine passer. Yeah, and I think he's pretty good at seeing how defenders react to him and his gravity and making the pass to the to the open teammates. Um you know, when you play a Gonzaga for four years and you have a really strong understanding of what the Gonzaga offense is doing, like it's good that he could do that. It's good that he saw those passes. Um, I'm sure that in future half court situations or in focused offensive sets, he's gonna be fine. A capable passer. Not an initiator by any means, but that's not a criticism. Um, I think that when the moments where he had to have the ball in his hands for an extended period of time, especially creation moments, were where his game got sped up. Um, his creation was clearly limited at Gonzaga, both in terms of his skill and by his role. Um, our buddy P.D. Webb had an excellent Let's Watch film discussion that covered Kispert, and I encourage everybody to go watch that. And I think he and his guest, Easy Hoops, another dude you should all follow on Twitter, at Easy Hoops, I think they both made a great point that just because a player has great feel for one aspect of the game, which Corey Kispert clearly does as a shooter, doesn't mean that he's going to have great feel for the entirety of his game. Um, for Kispert specifically, I think his feel comes in knowing how to take advantage of his gravity, his knowledge of the offense that he's been worked into. Um, yeah, relocating. Like he, yeah, relocating. And, and he's got a really nice little drive to the top of the paint, spin turnaround shot. Um, Defenders won't just be able to limit him as a shooter and not consider him a driving threat whatsoever. But when he has the ball in his hands for an extended period of time and gets further and further into a play, I think he has a tendency to end up with bad possessions. Um, and until he develops that quick shot off the dribble, like I talked about, he's not going to scare many defenders when he's dribbling and holding the ball. Um, good news is I think that's a clear avenue for to improve his creation ability, but it's something he'll have to unlock at the next level. Yeah, I don't think there were many flashes to hold on to of that either is part of the concern. You know, I I mean, you're talking about a role player here. Yeah, and that's fine. This is a ninth spot for a role player will make sense for some teams. Like Corey Kispert, to me, should be very high on the New Orleans Pelicans draft board. Yeah. And in a roster construction, like I talked about, I understand Sacramento taking him, just not here. Uh, and for me, it starts and ends on the defensive end. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on on this offense before I dive in here? No, not really. Um, okay. that, that, that's about it. Um, all right. On defense, Corey Kispert, always a willing defender at the college level. And, I mean, you have to be to play Gonzaga. Uh, given a concrete defensive system that doesn't force him to switch onto assignments he clearly shouldn't be on, cough, cough. Hint, hint, Luke Walton. Um, <laughs> I think Corey Kispert will be a fine team defender. Um, he's 7'6", 220 pounds. He's got good vertical pop. Like I saw his uh, combine numbers where he was really high up there on the vertical. I was shocked by that. It, it, it really doesn't surprise me. Because, I mean, maybe it's just because I've been watching Corey Kispert for four years. And um, I forget whether it was his freshman or sophomore year when he was really a role player like real real role player for gonzaga and 
Like I didn't think much of him. Oh, great. Gonzaga found another good shooter. And then he had one dunk on St. Mary's. I forget what year it was, but it was like, oh, all right. This guy has hops. He's got some vertical hops that'll give him a clear cover, some clear coverage at the next level. If you add all his tools together, there will be some dudes he can guard. Um, and he was willing to guard up lineups and handle bigger dudes at college level, which is good. Um, I think he's a bit indecisive on the defensive end at times, but overall, I think he was, he's got relatively fine instincts. Uh, and again, of course he would four years with Mark Fee will do that. Um, and this article pop gives him some real solid rim protection moments where, uh, I remember there was when we rewatched the, um, uh, championship game, he had a fantastic block on Jared Butler in transition. Um, so he had some, uh, highlights where, you know, you can see vertical quickness. I don't overly worry about him being physical or determined on the defensive end. I mean, at the end of the day, that gives you some level of defense floor. Um, I think the problem is that he's just not shifty. Like he's pretty fast in the open court. Uh, Again, I saw he had a really high shot around at the combine, but he's not shifty. He can't flip his hips quickly. And that's not going to change this at the next level. Um, like, at the next level, if he's asked to guard guards or switch on to guards, I think they're just going to dance on him or burst right by him or shoot over him. Like, we saw that over and over in the title game with Baylor, right? Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler proved it repeatedly. And I really do worry that teams are going to hunt him. Um, on an already strong defense, I think he'd be a fine neutral addition, but that's not what the Kings are. They're historically bad defense. And asking me to uh, use the ninth pick on the taking another dude for the core, this core can't absorb another average at best defender. It's, it, taking Kispert would just tell me you haven't learned from the Kings' history. They need positive defenders more than anything else on this roster. Um, and I think defense is honestly the greatest case for why the Kings won't draft him. Remember when our buddy Brett Huff looked at all the players Monty McNair has brought to Sacramento and found that all of them, um, Tyrese Halliburton, Darren Davis, Delon Wright, they all had really high block and steal rates. Kispert averaged 1.9 steals and 1.4 blocks per game this year. He had a 1.5 steal rate and a 1.4 block rate. He is not a defensive playmaker full stop. I think that's Pretty solid indication that he may not be who Sacramento takes. Yeah, he does have six seven size. He also has some of the shorter wingspan. I think it's only a plus one. It was measured today. Um, that is on the shorter end. Usually, you know, you're hoping for a plus four sort of thing if you're talking a high level defender, um, or even like Neesmith. Neesmith had a really high wingspan, um, even though he didn't show great defensive instincts. At least I thought. Um, but you know yeah. who had a. You know who had a plus uh, five wingspan at the combine? Oh, God. Who? Moses Moody. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm on the same page with you on Kispert's defense. I was curious how um, you were going to feel about this, but yeah, I do worry that there's a chance that he does get attacked. Uh, I think that there's a good chance. My guess for a medium outcome would be that he's just like an average defender, slightly below, that isn't getting like attacked regularly, unless you're talking a playoff series sort of thing. I don't yeah. think he's like a horrible defender. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, again, same thing that you said, Sacramento needs good defenders. Yeah. And especially doesn't need um, questionable defenders that are, you know, not difference makers potentially on the offensive end of the floor. Like, I, I just don't think it's somebody that 
I could talk myself into Mitchell at nine, I guess, if they took it. I don't even know if I could do that with Kispert. Yeah, I'm 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 the opposite. Kind of, and it feels weird saying that because I don't want either. But you know, if if you know the the name that everybody brings up for Kispert, I feel it's a little reductive. Um, but Joe Harris is the easiest comparison. Um, and I remember reading our article last summer. I think Jackson Frank wrote it. It makes sense that he wrote it. Um, Kispert was working out with Joe Harris. That's a fantastic spot. If Corey Kispert ends up being Joe Harris, then a lottery pick makes some sense. Not for the Kings. Not when they already have Buddy Hield and they got to figure out what they're doing. Not when Tyrese Halliburton uh, exists and you really need to put a defensive playmaker next to him to uh, really unlock his defensive havoc and uh, help De'Aaron Fox and, you know, Corey Kispert's clearly not my pick. Yeah, I'm obviously in the same spot as you. I, I think that if you're talking late teens, kind of makes sense for Kispert sort of range. Vecini has him 15th. Kevin O'Connor has him 13th. I think like when I look at like 15 for the Wizards, maybe makes sense. So that it plays a freaking Garrison Matthews. Um, I think that, you know, 17 to the Grizzlies makes some sense. But I think that's sort of the range that I would be talking about with Kispert. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, do you have any uh, any other thoughts on Kispert here? I, I think we did mention he's a four-year guy. Obviously, he is uh, tw- going to be 22 at the time of the draft. Um, and, yeah, about half a year <laughs> younger than Davion Mitchell somehow. But, yeah, uh, you know, definitely not else? young. Well, only thing I think I need to add is, uh, you know, as a fan of a WCC team that's not Gonzaga, uh, I'm looking forward to not seeing him on the court anymore. There you go. Except next year they'll have Chet Holmgren, and uh, my soul's just going to (laughs) break. Yeah, they keep getting them. But, yeah, Davion Mitchell and Corey Kispert, two guys that I think um, will end up in discussions for the Kings, but neither one of us is going to be fans of either one of those prospects. I think that there are um, wings that are in the same tier that I think 100% should be taken into very strong consideration before you're looking in these guys' directions. Um, Obviously, Moses Moody, Franz Wagner, um, Scotty Barnes, and and I think there's a couple more as well, Josh Giddey, Jalen Johnson, even... I guess Keon. Like, do you do you have either of Kisper or um, Davion Mitchell ahead of or comparable to Jaden Springer? I've got Jaden Springer like eight spots ahead of Corey Kispert. Yeah, and nine spots ahead of Damian Mitchell. Yeah, like it. I think the dude that Davion Mitchell is now is kind of like Jaden Springer's seventieth uh, percentile outcome. Um, I mean, maybe minus a little bit of the defensive end. Like, I don't want to uh, undersell what Davion Mitchell is on the defensive end. But, like, just take Jaden Springer. If you want Davion Mitchell, just be a little bit more patient and take Jaden Springer. I think his upside is tremendously higher. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I, I think Mitchell will be really close to Springer when it comes to my final board. I think you're going to be higher on Springer than I am. Um, or actually it kind of sounds like I'm going to be higher on Mitchell than you, but when it comes to Sacramento, um, all three of the guys, not really all that interested Springer, probably at the top of that. 
Um, but yeah, I, I think um, that's where we're at with these two guys and I don't really have much else to say on them. Should we pick our next two? Yeah. Um, I kind of want to do someone super fun now. I feel like we need to check out Giddy. Yeah, I was going to say, you want to take uh, Josh Giddy and I'll take uh, Zaire Williams? Zaire Williams, wow. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, they're back-to-back on my big board. Okay. Yeah, I'm really excited. I have to dive into Giddy. I have an understanding of him as a player, but I haven't felt comfortable enough to like really place him comfortably outside of just like I know he's in this tier, you know? Yeah, I agree with you. He's... Uh, he's definitely a dude I want to watch a ton more of. Uh, but so is Zaire Williams. Like, yeah, I think these are two guys that like serious consideration in nine. Yeah, perfect. Well, there we go. There we go. All right. Well, that will likely be the next episode of the Kings Bulls podcast here. And uh, we're going to have some draft profiles going up on, on Kings Herald here for some of the guys that we talk about. If you prefer written content and maybe some video footage to complement what we're saying there as well. Um, get a better idea of some of these prospects and of course there's a bunch of work going on from all the guys there um, all the guys and girls at King's Herald so definitely take a look at the Patreon support local independent King's coverage and if you enjoyed this episode of the King's Sports Podcast please subscribe, rate, and review and you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days here <laughs>